term intersectionality as much as other people because to me, imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy was the knitting together of parts so that intersectionality to me was more um, abstract. You could say what parts are being knitted together. You could maybe say, let's take two of those, sexism and racism, homophobia and sexism. But to me, imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy had it all there. phrase in my work, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy, because I wanted to have some language that would actually um, remind us continually of the, the, the interlocking systems of domination that define our reality, and not to just have one thing be like, you know, gender is the important issue, race is the important issue. But for me, the use of that, that particular jargonistic phrase was a way, a sort of shortcut way of saying all of these things actually are functioning simultaneously at all times in our lives. that will make you have a sturdy house. And those principles are the same irrespective of the kind of house you're building. The same is true of love. And we have been a culture that has overvalorized romantic love. That no matter how horrible and miserable your life has been as a kid or as a teenager, someday you're gonna find this love and it's gonna come into your life and it's gonna change all of that. And many of us found that that was not so. And I think a lot of men felt that one day they'll grow up and they'll be humanized by a woman or a partner giving them love. Rather than thinking about what will it mean, what will it take for me to become a loving person?
DJ Ian Hebb. itself, which is if you are thinking wrongly, then you have to be willing to change that thinking. I think the left has to begin to talk about love. Was there any more radical movement in our country than civil rights in the sense that, I mean, feminism is radical, but men and women have always lived together. The civil rights movement, the end of a certain kind of white supremacist apartheid, that was about love. And it changed us, and it changed us as a nation for the better. So I don't think that I'm, you know, breaking with that tradition. I'm trying to re-evoke it because by losing it, we are losing the kind of radical love of justice. One of the things I say in the book is that there can be no love without justice. African-American uh, black woman artist, member of the group of Spiral. I think we should be always seeking out our history, our history, and loving from that place. When I first met Emma years ago, and I went to her studio, and I saw that so many of her paintings were just hanging there, when all of the men that she was part of within this group are in museums and other places. It was that experiential lesson of how the art of women still is not valued as much, and certainly the art of black women. So this could not possibly be so, you know, in, in our, our society today, that a black woman artist who'd been so meaningful could just be, again, rendered somewhat invisible. And I thought, well, Bell Hooks, what are, what are you doing? And that was the beginning of me putting Emma's work on the covers of my book. It is one of her, the Killing Rage um, cover that has the little children and the flag um, is one of Emma's pieces. So that for me, that was my own way to say, how can I honor this person? I'm not part of the dominant art world that can reward her with museums, and, but I can do my part. And right now in the Bell Hooks Institute, I have the Yaw Gallery, and I have a room that's dedicated to Emma Amos.
20s and early 30s, I was most obsessed with finding words to explain systems of domination, to critique and to find a voice to express militant resistance. My voice was at times shrill and piercing, full of the pain, feelings of powerlessness in gender, coupled with awareness of the chokehold dominator culture had on my consciousness. In those days, that voice was often interpreted by the status quo as angry, and more often than not, too angry to be worthy of being listened to or heard. were often eager and still are to portray people of color coming to voice as always and only angry. For radical white folks who had not fully unlearned their racialized sexism, their projected image of an angry black woman letting it all hang out was often superimposed over the reality of voices that were simply boldly speaking truth to power. It wasn't anger that I was feeling when I wrote this book. It was the keenness of insight. It was the clarity of truth-telling. It was the power of breaking out of the bondage of oppression and exploitation. We have to think about why when people of color find our voice, white people so often can only hear that voice as an angry voice. what love is, how to love, because we don't know what to do, you know? I remember trying to tell my young love uh, at the time who seemed not to comprehend love. I, oh, I, I wrote on a little postcard thing, you know, love is a combination of six ingredients, care, commitment, knowledge, responsibility, respect, and trust. And so if you don't know what you're doing, just pull out that little card and ask yourself, in what way does my action that I'm taking reflect these traits, these characteristics, these, these values, if you will. And so that I think, again, the question of love is the question of what to do. What to do. 